Welcome to the Cross the Line Podcast. My name is Carlos Smith, and I have another special guest with me today. We are down in Charleston, South Carolina, and we have Mr. Pastor, we have Pastor Corey Aiken of Grace Community Church of Charleston. How you doing? I'm doing just fine. Thank you, sir. So I want to tell you how I actually found your story first. Um, I can't remember which one of my friends shared it on Facebook, but it just happened to just go like viral where we were. And um, I was just reading it and you were just saying how 10 years ago you showed a picture of you with flashing money and everything mm-hmm. and how you didn't care whether you made a home dead or alive. So I was like, man, it's it's got to be an interesting story, like a lot of stuff behind it. So I was right. like, let me just reach out to you. And and thankfully you responded and you were willing to to do an interview. So I'm um, just telling people kind of um, more about it. Like, how was your childhood growing up? My childhood was, um, for the most part, I had a good childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in church. I actually uh, got the mic in my hand and started speaking to church. I was about four years old. So I started um, really young. Um, religious family. Um, I have one older brother in the home with me. So overall, I had a good childhood. Um, I grew up with religious values and, and uh, a two-parent home as well. Did you feel like growing up that religion was kind of forced upon you? I wouldn't say forced. Um Force is a really strong word, but I would say that it was an indicated way of life. Mm-hmm. So it was um, something that was presented, but there were no other options at the same time. Right. So, um, you know, we went to Sunday school. We went to revival. We went to Bible study. Um, it was just a way of life. And, and at that time, I didn't know anything better. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I began to become active in church at such a young age, it actually gave me a little motivation to want to go. Mm-hmm. So so you never got to a point where you kind of it was since you were in church so much and that's all you knew. Did it get exhausting to a sense? It got sense? exhausting maybe in my teenagers when I when I then started looking into other things of the world and in the streets or whatnot. Um, because at that point, um, everyone always knew I was going to be a preacher. Um, you know, my, my uncle, my late bishop spoke and said, you know, he's going to pastor one day and all of that was good while I was young. But as I got older, I began to be curious about other things. It's just simply something I didn't want to do with my whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, I got to see the backdrop of ministry. I got to see the stress of ministry. Mm -hmm. I got to see the, the weight of ministry. And um, it did become it did become a little taxing where I was like, well, instead of going to Bible study, I just want to go to the movies, mm-hmm. you know, or instead of going to, to church, I just want to do something else, hang out with my friends. So in that regard, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, what was it like um, well, when, you, when your uncle, you said, kind of spoke that on you about you being a pastor when you grew up? Did you feel like there was a little pressure as well to kind of live up to what mm-hmm. he was Speaking it on. didn't really feel like pressure to me um, because, again, at that at that time, I was already speaking in church. Mm-hmm. Um, and the crazy thing is there was no one else in my age group that had been granted that you know opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't I was honored, excited, really didn't understand it. And to be honest, didn't really believe it. But I, in my mind, I'm thinking like, how, you know, mm-hmm. How, how am I going to get there? Um, it seemed impossible at the church I was attending. It seemed impossible because there were so many other people that were ahead of me. Right. Um, so it's something that I heard and something I just kind of, soon as I left church, you know, 
push out of my mind. It wasn't really pressure. Um, it was something that I heard, and I'm like, okay. Right. So what kind of, what do you feel like made you, in a sense, turn to the streets and, and do, want to do other things? Well, it was it was somewhat of a trickle-down effect. It wasn't like I just woke up one morning and was like, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Right. Um, as the dynamics of my home life changed when my uh, parents split, um, and just me wanting something different, wanting something fresh. And that's why here at Grace, I try to keep a fresh approach. I try to do things outside of the, the structure of the church to keep the youth engaged because we're living in a day and time where people may not come out for revival, mm -hmm. but they may come out for men's night at the shooting range. Right. They may not come out for, you know, a prophetic service, but they may come out for movie night. Mm -hmm. So that approach, just church, 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 and this was a very traditional church, very, very traditional and, and antiquated in their approach. And I say that in, in respect, very antiquated. So it led me looking for something fresh. And when I began to go to public school um, and began to be exposed to show you how sheltered I was, in a sense, it wasn't until I got to public school that I really heard secular music. Wow. Mm really heard secular music and I'm like, oh man, this this is not nice. yeah. you know. So I begin to hear secular music, um, catch up on and and listening to music, the kind of music that I was listening to was influential and like, okay, well this was up. So when I began to be exposed to different elements, um, in some cases I could not even tell what it was. But I'm like, whatever it is, this is real. This is not, you know. Mm -hmm. synthetic or whatever this is real deal so you were in private school the entire time growing? i wasn't in private school i was in magnet school so i was i what was is, magnet school like creative arts school mm -hmm. so i went to ashley river creative arts and then i went to ce williams um, for the scientific and arts so i went to magnet school up until high school then i went to public school okay and the public school system was a whole lot different you got exposed to a whole lot more that grabbed my attention Mm -hmm. So, so going to a public school and your parents split, did you, did you kind of feel like, of course, you never, they may not tell you everything, but did you feel like part of it was like on you why they split or anything or? No, no, not just, at all. I, I, I wasn't one of those that, you know, was like, oh, it's my fault, it's my fault. I, in my mind, I was like, this is y'all fault. Mm -hmm. um, because I saw the background of it and I saw things, um, it got to the point where it was better that they be separated, mm -hmm. better that they not be together. Um, and and the only reason I say their dynamics played a part is because my mother was much strict, much more strict, mm -hmm. much more, you know, religious driven. And my father was not so much religious, mm -hmm. um, Christian believer, but not so much religious. So living with my mother, I got a certain leeway of privileges, whereas living with my father, I could pretty much do what I want. Oh, so so after, when you went to school, you actually went with your dad, and that's when you... Through high school. Through high not, school. Not at the beginning of high school. Mm -hmm. It's it's maybe like my second year in high school is when I started living with my father. Mm -hmm. So so as you started listening to different music and everything, and did, did your parents, did they start seeing that in you where you were kind of going away from what you learned growing up? I'm sure they did. Um, sometimes I believe you can be too close to the mirror, so to speak, to really see yourself changing and progressing because I was still church oriented. I still went to church on Sundays. I mm -hmm. still, you know, went to, to Bible study. Of course, I found any reason I could to get out of it. 
Right. But at least on Sundays, um, even when I was hustling heavy in the streets, as a as a um, independent entrepreneur, so to speak, mm-hmm. Sunday mornings people knew he's going to church. Wow. I never it, lost that. It's, it's, it's got to be a, a crazy feeling knowing, you know, through the week, you know, you're doing what you're doing. And then all of a sudden, you know, you hear about it all the time. People live like a totally different life. Like through the week, they do whatever. And then Sunday is when they, you know, come to church and, you know, they're right. saved and holy for a few hours. And then after that, they go back to doing what they what they normally do. Did people look at you funny? Like, hey, I just seen you just doing something else through the week. And then now, now you're here, like living on. Right. Now, at that point. I was not like preaching. I wasn't licensed to preach. I didn't start like officially preaching until after all that was over. So at this point where I'm hustling and still going to church, I'm just like a church goer. Mm -hmm. So I'm not holding any position in the church and the church that I grew up in where, you know, they would have me speak and sing. I was no longer attending that church because I wasn't living with my mother and that's my mother's side of the family. Okay. So I was going to a totally different church. Um, they did not know me, so I I was just going to sit, and watch, you know, enjoy the worship. And I was always always a strong believer in tithing, so whatever I made that week, I would tithe. Draw money, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <clears throat> I would I would I would tithe on it, and God would bless me. Really, the, 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 it's, I'm trying to figure, trying to think of how to put it. So you didn't look at it in a way of. I don't want to put drug money in church instead of like actually going to work. And did you, did you ever feel like that was kind of the wrong thing to do? Since Not you were- at all. For me, for me personally, I felt, um, I believe that tithing is a principle. Um, I believe that 10% of what we earn, whether we earn it honestly or not belongs to God because that was my means of income. Mm-hmm. And I made a substantial income, um, doing some rather dangerous things. And I understood it was only God that kept me through the week. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I stopped. I never lost my sense of relationship. Always have had relationship with God, even when I was not doing as I should. I still had sense enough to pray and ask God to keep me in what I was doing. All right. So after after him keeping me, it was only right to me. And, and even growing up. Uh, my mother always instilled in us that she would give us money throughout the week. We knew, okay, if I got $40 throughout the week, then I will put $4 in church. Right. So it was a habit. It was something we were trained to do, and it was something that just came automatic um, for me to do it. Now, did people probably know my, my tithes were coming from illegal means? Probably so. But again, I was going to a church where no one knew me, which was one of the best things I ever did. No one knew me. No one right. knew anything about me. They just knew, okay, that's the quiet guy that's coming. So, so did your parents know where the money was actually coming from? Um, they probably did. They probably did not have a clear understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like it's not like I um, flashed money around my parents or whatnot. Um, so they they didn't know if I had money or not. Um, there were times when I worked intermittently, like for short periods of time. Okay. So they could assume, you know, well, it came from that or whatnot. But it's not like I would come home and just sit $5,000 on the counter or something. So so nowadays, now that you're as a pastor and you look back, if you see a young man who's in the streets hustling the same way you did for a little while and he, you know, pays tithes, do you see an issue with that now? Or do you just like, hey, I did the same thing? Or you kind of understand it because you did the same? I don't see an issue with it. 
Um, because here's the thing. No matter how many people talked to me back then or tried to warn me, I was going to do what I wanted to do regardless. Mm -hmm. um, so if I was to have a young man like that in, in my church, the best thing that I can do as a pastor is preach the word of God. Mm -hmm. um, you cannot clean a fish before you catch it. So I can't force someone to live right. And I think a lot of pastors mess up when they try to force people to live a certain way. Mm -hmm. All we have been set here to do as pastors is to proclaim the word of the Lord mm -hmm. and to correct when necessary those of our um, those of our local assembly. So if I have someone who is visiting, um, you know, I believe rebuke without relationship is abuse. So I can't go in and say, hey, you need to stop doing this. You need to stop doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, and secondarily, I understand it because I was not trying to just be this big, you know, crime drug lord. I was trying to survive. Right. What do you, what do you think pushes young adults away from from church sometimes? When church becomes antiquated and without movement, mm -hmm. without relevance, um, they just lose interest. They don't see the need of it. Um, not that they don't love God. They just don't see the need of the structure of the church. Um, oftentimes, the people in the church would probably be the number one issue that they stop coming to church. Mm -hmm. um, and then they're left in a place like, well, there's so many churches to choose from. Then they get trapped in that mindset, well, I can do church at home, mm -hmm. which is a lie. How do you uh, get people from looking at it in a sense of maybe hypocritical? Because like you were saying, sometimes the people at the church... Mm -hmm can cause people to not want to come any, anymore. And, you know, like I said, when they come in, sometimes they're holy, but then when they leave, they live a different life. Is it a way to, to, to ch kind of keep that out of the church? But is, or is it, how do you handle those? There, there's no way you can really keep that out of the church. Mm -hmm. um, I know for a fact that some that come to my church live crazy throughout the week. Mm -hmm. um, there's nothing you can do about that because when we begin to, pick sins that prohibit people from coming to the church, then nobody would be left, including myself. Right. Um, there's nothing I can do to, um, what I can do is make sure that my leaders, those that are in position, are, are walking in a way that is morally respectable. Right. Now, at that point, if they're not, then you can't lead in this church. Um, but as far as the people, I believe the, the house of God is open to everyone. Absolutely. Sinners, sinners included. So there's nothing I can do about that. I want to get back to you um, in, in the streets. Why, why, when you were doing what you were doing, did family members kind of cut ties with you, cut ties and separate from you because of some, what you were doing? Some, most, actually. Most, um, most kind of stepped back, um, kind of, so to speak, gave up, and some kind of kept their same relationship. For one, my brother, my brother always remained the same. We Mm -hmm. um, could not be more opposites in lives. Even now, we could not be more opposites. But uh, we never lost our relationship. We still talked every day. Were you the oldest? He's the oldest. He's the oldest. Okay. Did he did he try to get you to get out of out of um, he, hustle? He never really lectured me. Hmm. He never really lectured me, and I think that's one of the things about our um, relationship that have allowed us to remain close. So even now that I'm pastoring and he's an individual who um, loves God, um, I believe he would identify himself as a believer, someone who is saved, but someone that does not go to church every Sunday. Um, and never once do I hit him up like, hey, you need to be in church. Mm -hmm. 
So it's the same kind of thing. Um, we've always respected each other as individuals. Um, and because of that, we've been able to remain friends. So so tell us what made you actually want to turn your life back around? What Was it like a specific incident? <clears throat> uh, well, I spent a short amount of time in the prison system, which gave me a lot of time to kind of reflect. Mm-hmm. And it's in there where the um, I didn't have anything else to do. Um, the, the program I was in did not allow me to you know, watch TV, make phone calls home. I could not have any literature. So I'm literally pretty much sitting in a room with nothing to do. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm feeling like I'm almost going crazy. I'm like, man, you at least got to give me a Bible. Mm -hmm. So I start, you know, back then I was a lot different. I start, you know, creating a ruckus. I'm like, yo, this is illegal. You have to at least give me a Bible. Um, So after them recognizing like, hey, we do have to at least give them a Bible or a Quran. Um, they did bring me a Bible. So I began to read, honestly, out of boredom, mm-hmm. out of nothing else to do. Wow. I'm, I'm in a room with nothing to do for, for over three months. There was no more. I, I slept out. I was not watching TV. There was nothing, literally nothing to do. So all I could do is read day and night. So how, and night. how much time did you actually serve? Was just those three months or did you do? Well, I was in and out of jail. But I only served about three months in prison. So okay. there's a different jail is like the county jail. Prison right. is when you are sent off to like a secluded area. So that was totally different. Mm-hmm. That was totally different. So during that time when I begin to read and as I begin to read, the word of God is so powerful that even if you're just reading out of boredom, it will begin to transform your mind. Mm-hmm. It'll begin to touch your heart. And, and that's what began to happen. Right. And then your family members, did they finally start seeing that change in you when you when you finally got was back It was not until recently, honestly, for most of them. Uh, most of their approach, because I actually started preaching in prison. I started holding Bible studies in prison. So, of course, most of them were like, well, um, you know, that's just because you locked up. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. And when I got out, um, they're like, well, you know, you're going to be right back in. You're going to be, you know back in the same thing because I have been in and out of the system, not in and out of prison, but in and out of jail and Mm -hmm. system for so long. So their perspective was he's going to be right back out. This is just a phase. So, but as the years begin to pass by, um, you know, one year, two years, three years, five years, seven years, as time began to pass by and as God's hand began to become more and more evident upon my life, um, they had no choice but to to give God glory and admit that God's hand was did did that kind of hurt you when your um to hear family members say oh he's gonna be back in jail did that hurt um, for in, in my immaturity it did for some mm-hmm. um and what I mean by immaturity because even now folks say different things you know about me um and now it, it doesn't bother me at all, legitimately. Back then, I would say, oh, it don't bother me, but it did bother me a little mm-hmm. bit because I felt like these individuals should, I mean, I'm not in the streets anymore, so why would you not support what I'm trying to do positively? Right. But nevertheless, it was God that really uh, kept and sustained me, and um, I kept on uh, you know, serving. Um, and I would say maybe a year after my release, I was licensed to preach, and this, the rest has kind of been history since then. Do you, do you still associate with anyone that you were kind of in the streets with back then? What do you mean by associate? Uh, I guess just speak to them or if in I, passing if I or whatever. Them, Not hang with them, but... If I see them, I show mad love to them. Man. Mm-hmm. 
if I see him, I show my love. But you don't try to force it like, hey, you need to come to church. No, or just like with my brother, like I expect, I never, um, you know, some may reach out as far as, hey, man, man, I'm going through this. Can you pray for me? Can you look out for me? Can you, you know, say a word for me? And I always do. But if I see them, it's nothing but love, man. Mm-hmm. It's nothing but love. I ask how things are going. You know, how's everybody doing? Mm-hmm. So it's it's nothing but love when I see them. Do you do you did you worry about maybe you know stressing 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 your parents out when you were in and out? How how were they doing in those times? My mother was probably more stressed than anything, and at that time I didn't care. Hmm. At that time, I didn't, it was not really concerned about. Hmm. Does does they do they come to your church now or? My mother still goes to the church that we grew up in, and again, my father's not like an average church goer. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we, when we do like special programs, um, or like the first church anniversary or my first pastoral anniversary, or when, um, my kids were getting christened and I usually look and, and we'll see them in the crowd. What do you try to tell kids, you know, that's going down the path that you went, what do you try to tell them now? The main thing I can try to get them to focus on is the long haul, you know, not living in the now, not focusing on um, what you want now, but how it's going to affect you. Because even for me, um, most of most of the trouble that I got in was back in like 2010, 2011. It's still things that follow me now, still things mm-hmm. that show up on my record now. So that's the main picture I try to get them to see that. You know, even though you're making a decision now and you're still, you know, a teenager, this is something that can potentially follow you for several years. Mm-hmm. I want to change gears just a little bit. And I want to ask you about another topic about um, forgiveness. And just want to know, do you think that forgiveness is overrated? By overrated, um, you mean like? Well, when I say that, I mean, for it's one of the things that I thought about was um, the shooting that was at the church, Emmanuel AME. When uh, Dylan Roof went in and he killed all those innocent people, you know, people come back and say, we want to forgive him for what he did, you know, taking a family member away. And sometimes I think we'll forgive somebody who's taking a family member away from us. But somebody that might owe us five dollars from a couple of weeks ago, we don't want to talk to them anymore. So in a sense, do you feel like we forgiveness is like overrated? I don't think forgiveness is overrated. As a matter of fact, forgiveness is at the core of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Um, But that scenario you gave proves that forgiveness in the lives of many believers is selective. Mm -hmm. So we will forgive um, someone like Dylan Roof because it's on a larger scale. And this is a church shooting. So people expect you to come out and say, hey, I forgive you. Forgiveness is not so much what you say with your mouth, but it's what happens in your heart. Because you can say that, you know, well, I forgive you. But has that shift really happened in your heart? Mm-hmm. Um, forgiveness is something you can't really place uh, a time limit on. Um, but nevertheless, it's necessary. Jesus specifically says that if we do not forgive our brothers and sisters, that he will not forgive us. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's something that has to be done. How, how, how did you, speaking of that shooter, how did you actually look at that incident? How did a that tragedy. make you- Mm-hmm. An act of terrorism. Um, that's the only a tragedy in terrorism. That's the only way you could be looked. It could be looked at. Um, it was very unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, sobering um, happened. Um, the church I grew up in is downtown, so this was about ten fifteen minutes away from there. Wow. 
Um, so it was it was an act of terrorism and it was a tragedy. And and another thing about forgiveness, when something like that happens, do you expect people to forgive right away, or is it something that actually takes time before you actually I mean, it, that it, there's every individual is on their own platform as far as maturity and grace. Mm -hmm. And I believe it's unrealistic for someone to gun down my mother for the next day. Be, okay, I forget. Yeah, you. right. Well, exactly. Something. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not. I'm, I'm, I'm being realistic here. That's more than likely not going to happen. Um, it's something that probably does take time just as the sting of death. When someone dies, there is no timetable how long they're going to take to get over it, you know. Mm -hmm. So in the same sense, in, in, an offense like that versus you owe me five dollars right. are on two totally different levels. And one may obviously require longer for me to honestly say I forgive you. But forgiveness does not necessarily mean reconciliation. Mm -hmm. So just because I forgive you. Because you, you know, killed my loved one. That doesn't mean we, that we need to go out and get wings. Right. It's, yeah. And, and I was going to say, it's like, I know it's like two different extremes, like somebody owe you money and mm -hmm. and somebody, you know, harming a family member and things like that. But it was just, I'm like, I just didn't understand to me. I'm like, how can you forgive somebody who done so much more harm? And is Oh, it's definitely hypocritical. Mm -hmm. it's, I completely agree. And you see it a lot in the church. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a hypocritical move. Yeah, and I, and I see it again, and I and I it's just different things. Um, and I don't like I hate the, I don't want to really compare them, but it's things that have actually happened, like with like the R. Kelly situation, how he's been touching on young young ladies allegedly, and and different things like that. Like some people will say, yeah, we're we're done with him, but like the shooting incident, it's like okay, we'll forgive him. And I'm and I'm not, I don't want to call anybody out, and I know it's two different things, mm -hmm. but it's just like how can you say you forgive one person for this? But not somebody else. In essence, you can't. Um, but in the same sense, these are two different communities. Mm -hmm. So you have one community from the church and then another community from the secular world system. Mm -hmm. um, the loyalty in his fan base is based upon basically who's number one on the charts. Right. So they don't really owe him nothing. And in that world, you know, people typically don't have a music career that spans as long as his has already mm -hmm. um so younger guys have have come up in kind of replace where he's at anyways as far as relevance is but from a a biblical standpoint they both deserve the same kind of um the same kind of generosity as far as forgiveness is concerned um i think with r kelly's situation um i know there has been some documentary documentaries that have been mm -hmm. released um, saying what has happened. There's been a lot of speculation, of course, a lot of bad media coverage. Mm -hmm. But for me, until we, I, I really don't know enough to really mm -hmm. make a valid uh, standpoint on either side of the fence. Mm -hmm. um, but regardless, forgiveness is, is in due, but it's hard to forgive what you don't know. Right. So at this point, nobody really knows. Um, of course, he's saying, um, I believe he's saying he's innocent. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in this country, we we enjoy the the um, privilege of being presumed innocent until proven guilty. Right. What's the hardest part for you of the most challenging part of being a pastor? Right now, it's starting um, from the ground up. Um, we started. Um, it was literally just me and my wife. Um, I'm not a part of any mainstream denomination, so it's not like anybody. 
um, gave me a, a lump sum of uh, resources and said, hey, this is where you go, um, you know, to get started. So we literally started from our own resources. Mm -hmm. um, and that means that, you know, um, things that people often take for granted in church um, where they don't recognize how much it costs. Um, and they say things like, well, the church is, you know, only about money and, and you know, things like that. They don't, they're not aware of what goes into just having a seat for them to sit in, mm -hmm. especially when the chairs are like $20 a piece. Right. And yeah, that's something that you hear a lot, a lot about right. scamming and, and different things like that. How, how do you feel about that when people say church is a scam? There's a very small percentage of pastors. There's a very small percentage of churches in Charleston, period, that are even taking in enough money for anybody to be scamming anything. Mm -hmm. there, there's after you have paid overhead um, as far as rent you know just for us to be in this space and I'm, I'm, I can only talk about what goes on here um, after you've talked about paying rent light water musicians internet advertising after you've factored in all those costs most of the times there's nothing left, right? if anything. So, you know, um, when we see shows like Preachers of L.A. and we see people living lavish lives, um, number one, I believe they've earned it. Mm -hmm. Okay. They, you, you never know the sacrifice people have put in um, in getting started in ministry. Mm -hmm. um, easily, we spend easily between ten to 15000 Yeah. And that's 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 a, a low number. Um, you're talking about the keyboard, fifteen hundred dollars a month. It's a lot of money. And I think another thing that I saw recently, a couple months back, that kind of kind of blew up was the situation with Pastor John Gray. You know, when he bought his wife the car, but then he, of course, behind it, he was, you know, had an affair or whatever. And it's mm -hmm. it's like those those kind of things like that make people like, well, is this why money is? is going to and different things like that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what makes people. Right. And, and Pastor Gray is an accomplished author and businessman. Mm -hmm. um, the church that he's at, he was hired to be the pastor. This mm -hmm. is not a church where he started and or a church where he has complete autonomy over the church. He was hired by a board of to work there. Mm -hmm. So his compensation, it, it just blows my mind where people feel like they can dictate and put a cap on someone who was hired to do a job. Right. That's like me coming to your job and being like, hey, you're making too much money. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. He was make hired sense. to do a job. He was hired to do a job. And I don't know what they pay him. Um, you know, I don't know how many thousands of people that he has there mm -hmm. every Sunday. But he deserves to be compensated. I mean, to run a church, he's not just showing up on Sundays and Wednesdays and preaching. Mm -hmm. There's day-to-day -day operations that go into um, managing, especially a church of that size, because he has staff. So if they don't pull in enough money on Sunday or Wednesday, guess what? He has families that don't eat. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is a day-to-day -day operation. Yeah. And, I, and I think it's people that they don't see, when you explain it, people don't see like everything else that's going right. They're on. They're just looking at it as he's just showing up to church. But sermon preparation for me, and, and I've probably been doing it far less, than, far less longer than he has, but for one message is usually five to six hours. Wow. 
So, so you you all for pastors making what they can, but now, now I know you don't agree with what he was doing behind, you know, the, right. all the and other of stuff. Of course, I, I never agree with infidelity or Absolutely. adultery or anything like that. Um, I just wish people would express the same grace that they expect the pastor to give them. Mm-hmm. Um, I now I do believe pastors are held to a higher standard, mm-hmm. but if his wife can say it happened and we moved forward. There's nothing anybody else can say about mm-hmm. that. After someone's wife has said, I forgive my husband, there's that nothing, should be it. There's nothing exactly. nobody else can say about that. But but do you would you look at him as a <clears throat> in that situation, would you look at him as a hypocrite or I wouldn't look at him as a hypocrite. I would look at him as a man that cheated on his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, a man that has um, demonstrated forgiveness. Um, his wife has demonstrated forgiveness. Um, he admitted he messed up. He apologized. Um, I don't. I don't even understand why it ever became a topic. Mm-hmm. Personally, all right. What um, what impact did your wife have on you? I believe that for anything to come to fruition in the natural, it has to come through a womb. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus Christ, the the greatest gift that the world has ever beheld. Um, even God thought it necessary for Him to come through a woman. Not saying that men cannot create things, but for something to be given birth to, I believe that it has to come through a woman. So I can really say that my ministry, um, my ministry really gave birth through her. Mm. Did, uh, she, did she know you back then or or were you? Did you she know? did not. She okay. did not. She met me when I first started preaching. We were going to the same church. Back okay. Then. Do you feel like as a pastor, is it um, pressure? For your children to follow in your footsteps? No, not necessarily. Um, again, I'm not in their shoes, so my, my children are still very young. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I have one 11 year old, the rest are toddlers. So, um, you know, right now all they care about is eating. Right, um, absolutely. But as far as them feeling pressure, um, we don't we don't force them to do. I don't you know force them to do anything um, strenuous. We believe in. The family living a godly life, but anything out, you know, screeners, we don't we don't push on them to be, you know, preachers or anything. Like that. With, with so much on your plate, I know you're busy, man. Who do you who do you try to talk to? Like in your moments of like need when you need somebody to talk to and get some things off your chest. No, I believe every pastor needs a pastor. So I do have a bishop. Um, I'm a part of a interdependent um, fellowship. Um, and, and in times like that, I will consult. Um, but I will say that as a pastor and as a senior leader, especially you, wisdom tells you to have very few that you can consult mm-hmm. in times like that. Um, so it's, it's essential for any young pastor to really make sure you have a direct line with God. Excellent. Do you, um, is looking back, is there anything you wish you could have, you would have done differently? Honestly, I think everything I went through really built me who I am. Um, I think it really, there was a time where I was like, man, I wish I never done this. You know, I wish I had just stayed in the church. But I believe that my story really, um, I believe my story, the way that it panned out, helps more people. Mm -hmm. Um, That post that you're referring to, um, it was during the time when people were doing, I think it was like a 10-year challenge. Yeah. Um, and I did not expect to get the feedback that I did. I mean, it, 
it just went completely viral. Absolutely. Um, a lot of people, a lot, a lot of people reached out to me over it. Um, most just expressing how they were blessed, how they were encouraged because they have children going through similar phases and for them to see how God brought me out on the other side, encouraged them. And I think it's important because you, you, you like you say, you never know who's watching or never know what somebody else is going mm -hmm. through. So, so, so to see your story and, and your post, it encourages them and it lets them know, okay, where I am in life is not necessarily over. Absolutely. You know, and I think people are more inclined to receive something that's not perfect. Mm -hmm. do, do you worry about things from your past, like coming back to haunt you in the sense where like, for example, with you, we see like with social media nowadays when, when like celebrities, they'll post something 10 years ago. And they don't feel that way now. It's just like they matured over time. But do you feel like something like that? Do you ever worry about things like that? Maybe something. I don't worry about things like that. Um, some things that I said when I first started preaching, you know, um, eight, nine years ago, of course, I wouldn't preach now. I'm just a lot wiser. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot more. Um, but as far as things haunt me, I mean, it amazes me the standard that people will try to hold pastors so that they don't even hold themselves. Absolutely. It just blows me away, man. So when, when I hear stuff like that, um, I, I just let it roll off my shoulders. My having been doing this for a while now, and I'm still a relatively young man, but having been doing this for a while now, you learn to get thick skin. Mm -hmm. What what would you say um a scripture in from the Bible that best describes you? I would say if I had to um if I had to choose one, it would be uh, Philippians, I believe, 4 and 13. That says, through Christ, I can do all things that strengthen me. Wow. Um, that if I had to choose one, and that's that's very difficult. But if I had to choose one, I would say that one mm -hmm. sums it up. Just a few more questions, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. What's the greatest impact you felt you made on someone's life? Um, I believe that as a pastor... We never know the complete effect that we're having on an individual's life. Mm -hmm. um, but as I, I've been privileged to travel extensively and, and share the word of the Lord, and sometimes just exclusively my testimony, um, hearing people that feel like they're trapped in that street life because you can get to a point where you feel trapped. Um, a lot of drug dealers are not out here trying to destroy communities. They're out here trying to survive. Right. Mm -hmm. They're out here trying to feed their kids and telling them just to believe in Jesus is simply not going to be enough. Mm -hmm. You have to provide resources. So them hearing my testimony and them hearing me explain exactly how I came out and them be, and, and seeing that light bulb go off in their head is, is most rewarding. Mm -hmm. I love to see God's people set free and delivered. Do you feel like to this point right now that you... You may owe anybody anything for maybe like encourage you to, to really turn things around. Do you feel like you owe anybody at this point? I think at this point, I owe God. Mm. At this point, I owe God. Um, of course, there were people that helped me along the way. But when I first answered the call, everyone else had pretty much left. Mm. Um, me and my brother were always close, but... Um, as far as pulling me to the forefront, um, of course, I had pastors that believed in me. But when I went into the system, I didn't have a pastor. Right. So I owe God. Absolutely. What was, um, if it was somebody that you could talk to, this, they may not be here with us today, um, 
if you had a chance to talk to him again, who who would that person be for you? Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King. Can you explain? I believe what he did, and, and he's another one that people have tried to dig up dirt on and Absolutely. say that, you know, he was unfaithful. And, I mean, it, it shows that no matter how much good you do, it's going to be someone that's going to yeah. look for something, yeah. literally look for something. And of course, nobody's perfect anyway. Right. No one's perfect. Um, mm -hmm. But I believe I would speak to him just because I believe the magnitude of the movement that he led is undeniable. Mm -hmm. And he, he really... Um, came to prominence in a time where it was it, he had every reason to react violently but he did not hmm. he had you know every he could have simply said you know i'll just be a pastor and go home to my wife and leave this alone but he knowing that he would probably be executed um, when you listen to his last speech the famous you know i've been to the mountaintop speech you can almost feel the anguish in his heart that he expected to die soon. Mm -hmm. You know, he began to talk about going to the promised land. Um, he expected to die soon. So he kind of saw it coming. Kind of saw it coming, but he believed in what he believed in so strongly that he understood that the greatness of what he was pushing would outlive him. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go back to something else you said real quick. You said that it's amazing how people hold pastors to a higher mm -hmm. standard than what they hold themselves. Do you feel like Sometimes you have to watch what you're doing because you're like, hey, somebody might. And I'm not saying you're doing anything. I'm just saying, you know, some people might say, oh, I seen pastor doing such and such or whatever. Do you feel like you have to kind of tread carefully of what you do nowadays? Or even like riding in a car, listening to music. Somebody say, I heard pastor listening to secular music or something. Do you? Now, I believe um, as a believer, you have to be careful what you do, period. Mm-hmm. Beyond being a pastor, as a believer, I was conscious of what I did, um, and 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 Paul said, "I beat my flesh into subjection." This is a daily process of you making sure that you're doing what you're supposed to do. Um, as far as me feeling like I have to watch myself, I just live my life. I don't I don't live my life as far as I got to make sure I don't do this. I got to make sure I don't do that. Living for God is a way of life. Mm -hmm. So I naturally, I don't expect to do something that someone would, you know, be offended by. Um, of course, you never, in this day and age, people are offended by anything. anything yeah. Um, I enjoy clean music. I'm not going to listen to anything with a bunch of cussing, anything with a bunch of negative talk. But love music, um, 90s R&B, I listen to all the time. Right. Um, and I encourage people to be well-rounded in their taste of music. Mm -hmm. Um I believe music is a beautiful thing, um, but if I'm, you know, going out for a romantic life with my wife, I don't want to hear yes, Lord. Absolutely. My, my final question, what would you say is your ultimate goal? My ultimate goal is to spread the gospel throughout this community as far as I can. And, and what I mean by that is not reaching people that are church, but the day that I can look out into my congregation and see black, white, Chinese, Latino, see a multicultural church, um, a community center, um, not just a church, but something that can offer tools for underprivileged children that can really feel the, feed the hungry, feed the, uh, house the shelterless. That, that's my ultimate goal, to build an epicenter that can really distribute, redistribute the wealth that is in this city, because I don't believe that there's a shortage of money. I think there has been an unfair 
in an unequal distribution of wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to give people tools so that they can take care of their families outside of returning to the street. Absolutely. Well, pa- Pastor Aiken, I want to thank you again for the opportunity to sit with you. Um, before you. we get out of here, do you want to tell? Do you want to leave a message or tell anybody where they can find you? Well, we are located right here in the heart of North Charleston. Um, the address is 8484 Dorchester Road, uh, North Charleston, South Carolina. Um, we're here every Sunday at 9 a.m. Um, we're here every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Uh, I encourage people to look us up on uh, www.gracecharleston.org. Uh, follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at Grace Charleston. Um, and you can learn more about me on my website at coreyaken.org. All right. Thank you again, Pastor Aiken. And hope you guys enjoyed it. Till next time, keep chasing your dreams. This is Cross the Line Podcast. Thank you for listening.